Today on the show, the first in our two-part cliffhanger on The Way of the Cross. Spoiler alert, we know how it ends. The Catholic Underground starts right now. Some way, somehow, you have hit the play button on the Catholic Underground. We are a podcast cutting through the noise and finding the topics that matter and bring them to you. It's episode number 443, I think. Do you remember, Jeff? Two. 442. Yes. Yeah, I don't know. For those of you keeping score, obviously, I'm not. I'm Father Chris Decker, a priest of the Diocese of Baton Rouge in Louisiana. Joining me, we've got Tyler Traha. He is our pretty much always available fill-in guest host, making you an almost permanent guest host. It's because of you, Father Chris. Oh, shucks. There you go. (laughs) You say that to all of the priests who invite you on their (laughs) podcast. And, uh, of course, uh, Olivia Galino joins us. Olivia is here. With such lackluster introduction, yes, I am here. (laughs) We always prefer people that have being to be on our program. And uh, up on the Jeff Star One Near Earth Orbit Satellite, you know that name because the satellite's named after him. Jeff Blackwell is on our program as well. Hey, Jeff. Ed is good to be here, Father. And uh, Ed, of course, is in the ball pit uh, running the video, making sure the fish is on the screen at all times. Yes. And uh, here we are. So this is indeed um, for us uh, the, the Lenten time of the year. And we thought that it might be a good idea. Normally what we do as we get closer to the to the to Holy Week is we spend some time talking about the Triduum. Well, I thought it might be a good idea to focus a bit on some of those bits of the Triduum, but within the tradition of the church. And that of course would be with the way of the cross. And as you know, traditionally, at least nowadays, there are 14 stations. And so the way that the program will run this week is we'll have six of those stations, or seven of those stations now. I've never been a math student. <laughs> and, and then uh, next program, we'll do seven, the other, the next seven stations. And so it'll be part marathon, part reflection, um, but all Catholic underground. So, a quick yeah. question. Yeah. Have there ever been any l- fewer than 14 or any more? There, there have been. Interestingly enough, really? yeah, the, the stations... Um, are, are as we'll discuss, we're, are tied to certainly the places yeah. of Christ's kind of, if you will, touching down uh, on his way to Calvary. Um, but the the notion of fourteen stations really is is rather uh, late along, hmm. um, okay. because typically the the way that it started, it was uh, following the path from Pontius Pilate's Praetorium to Christ's tomb, hmm. and so throughout the years there have been some fewer, some greater. Um, some more pilgrimaged to, yes. and then um, some less. And uh, as we'll discuss, uh, this is one of the beautiful things about our faith is that there's been an ebb and flow oh. before things finally kind of find their their equilibrium, their mm-hmm. settling point. So we need to pay attention in case there's a, a pop quiz before the end of the program. There may right? very well be. I mean, Olivia is a teacher. <laughs> right. You're so. right. I'm always always ready with some quiz questions. <laughs> and Tyler's a student, so you could be the recipient <laughs> yeah, of the yeah. pop quiz. I'm kind of, a kind of student out already. Right. We'll find yeah. you in the parking lot. <laughs> yeah. That's exactly right. Right. Just a word about your exam and your final grade, Tyler. Oh, goodness. Yeah, so so, so Jeff, you do... Easy, easy does it. You do ask a good question, though, Jeff, because um, one of the... the most intense stations of the cross is uh, is when Jesus meets his mother, and we'll talk about that in a mm, bit. Yes. But it was um, it's pious tradition, and through the writings of Blessed Anne Catherine Emmerich, 
that in one of her visions, you know, she was a mystic in her own time. She was born in the 1770s. And so really kind of the well before the turn of last century, uh, she was a young person in her 20s receiving these visions and these um, allocutions, these, you know, actually hearing uh, the saints speak to her. And then also experiencing these deep, deep passion moments of, uh, of the passion of the Lord. And so in one of her visions, she said, I beheld Mary in her last years making the way of the cross. She was at this time advanced in years. Though there was visible in her no other sign of age other than an ardent desire for her transfiguration. She was remarkably grave. I never saw her laugh. And the older she grew, the fairer and more transparent became her countenance. She was thin, but I saw no wrinkle no trace of decay about her. She was like a spirit. So um, in, in her vision, um, Mary is making the way of the cross. And so there at least is some, perhaps, even though this is a, a, a mystical vision, right, uh, given to, to one of the blessings of the church, there is a, every reason to believe that Mary would have gone back mm-hmm. to, those, to those points. And um, as the disciples were kind of looking to Mary early on, <laughs> Bless you. It's a, it's live radio. Folks. And uh, it's it's certainly worth noting that uh, the disciples of Jesus would have probably gone along mm-hmm. with where our Blessed Mother went. It's kind mm-hmm. of a neat thing. I've never really thought about that yeah, before. Yeah, I've never thought about that either. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I mean, even just on a human level, it makes sense because Mary's a mother. Yeah. And she would have, I mean, think about like, you know, the, the terrible tragedy of a mother losing a child mm-hmm. in, in this day and age. I mean... Um, I can think about it in people that I know, like they mark the anniversary, mm-hmm. um, or even, you know, in the recent days after that, that child's death, they might be there every day, right? you know, um, visiting either maybe the place where the child died, mm-hmm. uh, the child's room mm-hmm. or the grave, you know? And it's interesting that even today, um, w- whenever someone perhaps is, is, uh, suffered a death at a traffic accident that site will almost always mm-hmm. be marked with a cross right. yes. yeah. so that's mm-hmm. even still today we mark stations yeah. for for events that happen in our lives that are life-changing you yeah. know mm-hmm. uh, especially when it's uh, oriented towards yeah you know marking someone's death yeah and uh, i mean places matter like i i still i mean you know obviously this is much different than what we're talking about with the stations of the cross but like i still think of like accidents that I've witnessed mm-hmm. um, or like events that I've heard about secondhand that other people that I know have witnessed. Mm-hmm. And every time I pass them, I remember and I'll pray, Correct. you know, like I'll, I'll mm-hmm. have a kind of a moment where I'm taken back at least in, in my memory or yeah. to what I've been told. And I'm kind of, you know, taken away from myself for a second and I'm kind of drawn to prayer. Sure. You know, and it's, I think that's a natural sort of reaction. Absolutely. And we do, we memorialize these places. Yeah. I mean, if you think about just in our own history, right, uh, in, in Selma, Alabama, um, yeah. Dr. King's uh, hotel room, mm-hmm. right? I believe that's in Selma, is is, uh, yeah. is preserved. Mm-hmm. Um, at the World Trade Center, the mm-hmm. site yeah. where, um, where the buildings came down. There is now a, an expansive uh, memorial there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, in in Auschwitz, uh, a death yeah. camp has now right. become um, a memorial, so that it might not happen again. So, so right. we are hardwired for remembering mm-hmm. here on this earth. Yeah. You know yeah. the things that have happened, and so how much more that we as Christians remember those uh, sources, those those moments of the source of our salvation, mm-hmm. yeah. where Christ, uh, as I say, kind of touches down. 
uh, in these places. So when you think about it, um, the, the Christians would have kept these in secret for a long time, you know, mm-hmm. as, as best they could, because there yeah. was persecution even in Jerusalem right. of Christians. Um, but whenever Christianity becomes legal, if you will, in uh, what, 313, I believe. Mm-hmm. Every gentleman knows a few dates, uh, Jeff Blackwell. 313 is worth knowing. That's right. The Edict of Milan. The Edict of Milan. Oh. And then, of course, 325. Uh, the Council of Nicaea. Mm-hmm. Is that going to be on the That's on the quiz. That's going to be on the quiz. Write it down. <laughs> That's right. And so St. Jerome, who was living in Bethlehem at the end of his life, uh, he also talks about the crowds from all these sorts of countries that are coming to the holy places and they're following a way of the cross. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and so that's within the 300s. So we're talking like right after Nicaea, mm-hmm. the, the church. So think about what happened in 300s. So uh, three, was it 340? The scriptures uh, begin to come together, and they're they're mm-hmm. codified by the Council yeah. of Hippo, and is it Constance maybe? Oh, it's near um, enough to there. See, now I'm I'm having trouble with my dates, but uh, so anyway, whenever the 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 um, the canon of scripture was laid down, this was in the 300s. So you have the Council of Nicaea 325, you have uh, 313 when Christianity becomes legal, right? And then you have the canon of scripture between 340 and 400 being decided definitively uh, by, by the church. Constantinople? Uh, 381. It? And 381, okay. So Constantinople between. 1. So you have all these things happening, but also the entire world is coming to believe in Jesus Christ in the mm-hmm. 300s. Yeah. And so they're making the way of the cross um, in some form or another. In the 5th century, what began to happen was a desire to reproduce the holy places. Yeah. So they would make kind of shrines in miniature. And so you even have uh, someone like St. Petronius, who was the Bishop of Bologna in Italy, and he was constructing a group of chapels that kind of mimicked uh, moving through Jerusalem. So those are also kind of uh, stations of the cross, if you will, because yeah. he's, he's uh, building replicas of the holy sites in Bologna and Italy in his monastery. And I think, you know, I keep thinking about, um, so St. Helena, who is Constantine's mother, mm-hmm. um, who yeah, goes to the Holy, goes to the Holy Land, and she actually does a lot of the, the legwork of finding the holy sites that yep. have been preserved by tradition, and then bringing some of those pieces back you mm-hmm. know, to Italy and that end up other places. Um, but a lot of that work was done by her. Um, but I think it also is a great testament to the people mm-hmm. who in the they're kind of underground very much perse- heavily persecuted um generations since the time of christ kept that faith alive they knew exactly where these places were they knew yep. exactly where mm-hmm. these holy relics were they knew exactly where the true cross was um and b- so that she was able to find them with relative ease mm-hmm. you know um because there was no way she would have been able to find the volume of sites and the volume of just stuff that she was able to if not for the people being like, oh, yeah, we know where that is. Yeah. Right. We know exactly what that is. Right. You know? And I mean, then like you, you said the word, the, the participation of it. And I think that's I'm reminded of the mass, uh, how like, you know, going back to the Last Supper and how the mass is that participation in the Last Supper and then in Jesus um, Jesus's presence in the Eucharist and thinking of the preservation through these different efforts of those different landmarks mm-hmm. of the way of the cross. But then how in all of your catholic churches you're going to see the ways of the cross mm-hmm. that's right all in the all on the side walls yeah um and in that participation we then come to reflect and participate in that and how yeah. it kind of makes it 
still a part of our lives. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's, it's very liturgical in the Absolutely. sense that we are called to enter prayerfully into that moment. Mm-hmm. You know, right. and uh, and that's really the power of making the Stations of the Cross. In fact, the the, the word Stations come to us by way of an English, English pilgrim in 1458, William Way. He's the first one to call them Stations of the mm-hmm. Cross. Um, and it's interesting that um, prior to the time that that William Way visits, it was um, common to go from Calvary all the way back to Pilate's house to kind of mm-hmm. make the stations in reverse. Hmm. And yet nowadays, um, the, we do we do it in reverse. We start at Pilate's yeah. house mm-hmm. with Jesus' condemnation, and uh, and make the way to Calvary. Mm-hmm. And of course, uh, as you were talking about uh, stations of the cross inside churches, that began. By the, certainly by the end of the 17th century, because uh, Pope Innocent the 11th knew that because of the Muslim in, in, incursions into uh, and taking over the Holy Land, uh, that that many pilgrims couldn't actually go to the Holy Land. And so, what do we do? We we make stations within mm-hmm. our churches, and um, certain um, what you might call it uh, indulgences are attached mm-hmm. to making the stations. Yeah, my brain, higher brain functions, <laughs> they're not working. Um, and so this has also continued through the year. In fact, you can still receive a plenary indulgence for making a way of the cross. And uh, in other circumstances outside of Lent, making a, um, you can receive a, a partial indulgence for making a way of the cross. So there are all sorts of uh, beautiful ways in which uh, we can benefit spiritually from this. And so I suppose we can start talking about these stations here. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the first station, of course, is Jesus is condemned to death. Mm-hmm. And if you think about it, um, I've often try, tried to put myself in the place of, of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And we've all kind of felt perhaps betrayal before, you mm-hmm. know, and how Jesus must have experienced this, this sense of betrayal, mm-hmm. you know, by, by his own people in many ways by his disciples because he's effectively alone. Mm-hmm. And, and to ask the Lord, why, why, why he is silent in this moment? Because you know he doesn't say anything, right? Yeah. And that's always right. so striking. Is he, he in the presence of Pilate? He doesn't defend himself. Yeah, he right. defends his father. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, right? Well, right. and I'm, I think about too. Um, you know, it's kind of flummoxing that he doesn't defend himself because mm-hmm. he so easily could. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I think about is it? I always get Saint Teresa of Avila and Saint Catherine of Siena confused on this, but. Um, whoever, whichever one of them says, um, um, like when you um, present the truth to someone, you don't need to convince them. Your right. job mm-hmm. is not to um, conv- convince, but to inform. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. you let the truth, uh, maybe it was St. Augustine who said like, um, you, you you let the truth go and mm-hmm. it will defend itself, mm-hmm. right? And like, that's what Jesus has done at that point. Like he has spoken the truth with his life, which yeah. is the very fact that he exists. And then with his ministry, his, you know, the miracles that he's worked, the parables that he's taught, the the twelve that he's gathered together, mm. minus one, and um, and I mean even Judas, you know, yeah, um, and all of that speaks, yeah, and so he, there's nothing really left for him to say, you right. know, like mm. there's nothing, to a certain extent, you know, that he could say. Mm-hmm. Well, in a sense, that's going to convince Pilate. He, he's kind of just recapitulating what he tells Thomas, right? Because mm-hmm. Thomas says, "Master, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way?" Yeah. And he says, "I am the way, the truth, and the life." Yeah. Mm-hmm. What is Pilate's question? Well, what, what? is mm-hmm. truth? Yeah. And Jesus answers the question by being in the presence of Pilate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not a what; it's a who. Yeah. You know? yeah. 
And that's really, whenever Jesus does speak, it's always to attest to the truth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That he's just simply here to testify to the truth. And we can often ask, you know, why why the world is the way that it is, right? Why, why does the Lord permit these sorts of things to happen? And it seems like the Lord um, is, is silent. And yet one of the things that Jesus shows us in that moment is that he is willing to give us the graces that we need to stand tall mm-hmm. whenever the world ridicules us. Jesus didn't slump over, mm-hmm. you know, but he knew that he was about something um, that was great that needed to be done. Mm-hmm. It was a great act that needed to be done. Mm. Yeah, so, so the first station Jesus is yeah. condemned to death. He then takes up the cross. Yeah. So after this condemnation, um, he, is, he is scourged at the pillar. Of course, if you're kind of stirring in the mysteries of the rosary, and then he takes up the cross after he's incredibly weak. Mm-hmm. He takes the cross on his shoulders and begins to walk. And there has been some conjecture as to whether or not he was carrying the entire cross mm-hmm. or if he was just simply carrying the cross beam. Mm-hmm. But everything, um, at least within seeming within archaeology and even within some eyewitness accounts, uh, he carried the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and that I can't even imagine. Yeah. You know. Well, well and I know for the, and it, I think it goes back to, again, this participation and thinking about like Jesus carrying our cross. So we always hear all the time about how like, you know, carry your cross, like carry your burdens, but bring them to Jesus. And, mm-hmm. um, but I think like the practice of the way of the cross is an opportunity to really take the passion of Jesus very personally mm-hmm. in that how do I place myself into um, whether it be the actions of Jesus and his passion, but you know, we were talking about Mary earlier, like putting us in the presence of Mary and just really personalize the experience of mm-hmm. the way of the cross. Cause sometimes, and I mean, and this is, something that a lot of us do and especially like when we go through the mass we kind of just go through the motions of Mm -hmm. just like all right we're going to go to the very first station we're going to say this prayer then we're going to go to the second one and and whenever we challenge ourselves to really enter into this idea of you know okay jesus is carrying his cross because he ultimately knows what that leads Mm to um it kind of puts it into a whole different perspective yeah um and so just actively participating and personalizing the experience to where it's um it kind of it brings it to a new level Mm -hmm. yeah for sure and and it also kind of helps to color our crosses Mm -hmm. too right you know we realize that that our crosses are not things that that we carry by ourselves but in a sense they they take on their significance Mm -hmm. by the cross that jesus willingly takes up yeah Mm -hmm. And I think, too, uh, I don't know, somehow this only came to mind when you were talking about taking up the cross. But I think back to, like, when Jesus is arrested, um, before he goes to uh, meet Pilate, he spends mm-hmm. the night in prison, mm-hmm. basically. Mm-hmm. But it's in a pit. Um, yeah. And I've, I've had, like, what I consider to be a very humbling privilege to, like, go to the Holy Land. And I remember being in the pit um, mm-hmm. where Jesus, um, like, spent the night kind of left Mm -hmm. he was left there he was just left Mm -hmm. there but it wasn't a place like where you could even really sit down because he would have been like kind of like chained in such a way that he wouldn't have been able to lie down but there would have been like water on the floor so it wouldn't have been a place of rest Mm -hmm. so he was already exhausted Mm -hmm. um not to mention like the emotional anguish of like the agony in the garden Mm -hmm. and then having not slept and then having been scourged. So like on every kind of dimension of being, mm-hmm. this man is already just 
depleted. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then he's given just an incredible burden, a physical burden to bear. Not to mention like the metaphysical burden of the weight of humanity's right. mm-hmm. sin. That's right. Realizing yeah. that this great thing that he is doing is also taking upon himself the sin of the world. I read last week, um, and it may have been, whew, I don't remember who it was. It was probably Archbishop Sheen. He talks about how Christ cannot take our sins into himself because he is not capable of sin. But he rather takes our sins onto himself. Yeah. And so willingly he takes Mm -hmm. our sins onto himself. And so the physical manifestation of the cross and its physical weight is is merely uh, really a sense of metaphor of of what he is carrying on top of himself for us, you know. Mm -hmm. And so it is it's a very physical cross, but there's a metaphysical cross that's Mm -hmm. also happening here as he's taking all of the sin since Adam and Eve's know. Yeah. Uh, upon his shoulders. And of course, that brings us to the next station of the cross where, where he falls for the first time. And of course, it, uh, it, it belies that if we say that he falls for the first time, there will There's be more. other mm-hmm. falls along the way. But sometimes it can seem like Jesus carries his cross without faltering, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and uh, we can see that we, we, seem to, we see Jesus as uh, this juggernaut. And yet we see that in his humanity, he falls under the weight of the cross. He, in a sense, is willing to show humility. You know, at that moment, angels could have lifted right. the cross mm-hmm. up to, to help him appear. Kind of the show would have been, would yeah. have been great. Right. The optics would have been perfect. Yeah. But, but there, there was, it was the Lord and was the cross. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that was the way that it had to be. Mm-hmm. Well, and I, I think that uh, that reminds me of one of my favorite passages from um, a book I know I've talked about on here before, The Mystery of Joseph. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a passage that talks about divine poverty and how that's something that Joseph had in spades. And mm-hmm. so if nothing else, he knew what it was to rely on God. Mm-hmm. And even in his just complete abject weak- weakness, yeah. he, mm-hmm. he was not equipped and not he did not have the wherewithal to mm-hmm. be the protector of the mother of God and literally God himself. Right. But he knew that mm-hmm. and he relied on God and therefore he was mm-hmm. the one who could um, in all humility um, protect them from anything and everything, including the onslaught of Satan himself. And I think that like you see that ref- like in Jesus, right? You see like that complete humility Um, Mm -hmm. like, because you're right like that. And that's what you think back to like the temptations of Jesus in the desert before he started his, um, his ministry, right? He goes into the desert to fast and to pray and Satan finds him there. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the things that Satan tempts him with is, you know, go up to the parapet of the temple, throw yourself down, let the angels save you. Make yourself Mm -hmm. a spectacle. Yeah. And in God's holy place. And everyone Mm -hmm. will know who you are. So you don't have to carry the cross. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Cause that was the great temptation is that you don't have to carry the cross. Yeah. Right. And and it could have been, you know. And yet, in Jesus falling um, under the weight of the cross, he's showing us that it's okay to fail in this sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? Um, well, and I think another thing, too, because something that's coming to my mind is, like, whenever he fell yeah. and knowing what was to come, he still continued. Correct. Like That's he, right. He, That's correct. He still got up and he continued, even knowing. Because mm-hmm. I mean, even in the in the Garden of the Gethsemane, like his prayer was, "Lord, let this 
cup pass from me, mm-hmm. but only your will be done. Mm-hmm. And so, and that's what's coming to me right now. It's like this beautiful image of like, yes, you know, it's okay to fall in this life, mm-hmm. but press on. That's mm-hmm. correct. Just as Jesus did. That's correct. And that's why, that's why we understand that God permits failure in our lives. Mm-hmm. You know, um, because we we do need to to understand that that even under the lightest weight we are weak. Mm-hmm. And Jesus bore an I mean immensely heavy weight and was weak. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so when we buckle and when we fall, um, the Lord permits it, even though we can't always comprehend it. But that allows us to join our perceived failure mm-hmm. um, to what seems as a failure by the world as Christ falls for the first time. You can almost imagine uh, folks going, oh, yeah, right, you're God, huh? So here you are laying on the ground. And and yet he does. He, he gets up. He continues going mm-hmm. because he knows that, that there is an end in mind mm-hmm. here. And it doesn't end with failure. It doesn't end yeah. with falling. It yeah. doesn't end with being mm-hmm. a spectacle yeah. of a, a failure. Mm-hmm. And that's what hope hope is. Mm-hmm. And that is what hope is. That's what hope right? is. And so the Lord um, gets up again, even though I don't know where he got the strength from, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. you know, um, in, in his in his human strength. He had to have been buckling over, under under every like step of his toe. Absolutely. Uh, and yet he gets up and, and continues to move on. Uh, I have a feeling that uh, that the next station will probably take us to the break and through the break, mm-hmm. and that is uh, where Jesus meets his mother. Oh gosh! And <laughs> this is this is one of those um, one of those stations that, you know, as I make the way of the cross every year uh, as a priest in a parish, mm-hmm. it's it's definitely the one of the number one devotions. Uh, I have found myself lingering in this station so many times absolutely where jesus meets his mother mm. and um and seeing it from from trying to to place myself in in both sides of of this you know what must it be like to see your child um undergoing what you had ha- kind of knew was going to happen mm-hmm. but you had hoped would never come about mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. and just the 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 absolute um just the dereliction yeah mm-hmm. And I have to say, like, I, I love the scene from um, the Passion of the Christ depicting mm-hmm. Mary and mm-hmm. Jesus meeting because you also see, like, Mary and Satan, right. like, staring yeah. down. Yep. Yeah. And so you see, like, the strength that, that Mary is displaying, but mm-hmm. it's also, like, Mary kind of granting that strength to her son. Yeah. Right. And there's like the flashbacks to them kind of being playful with each other, mm-hmm. like, even in his adulthood, you know, mm-hmm. um, and like that, it, it's like a, I don't know, you see like her being like what Edith Stein calls like that, that shelter in which mm-hmm. other souls may unfold. Like even for the son of God, mm-hmm. her son, her precious baby boy. And she knew from, from the annunciation, she knew that this was the only way yep. that this mm-hmm. could happen. The only way that this could end. Right. Well, it's not the end, but the only way that this was, was going to happen. Had to come about. Yeah. Um, and, and this was going to be the, the final sword that's going to pierce her heart. Mm-hmm. Um, but she's still there trying to give him strength. Yeah. And like, if, if that's not like a final kind of resounding, yes, that she can be our mom too. I don't know what it is. That's right. And you can see why our lady would have made the way of the cross mm-hmm. after her son's death and resurrection. Stay right where you are because there's more of the Catholic underground coming up. We're talking about the way of the cross and that's where we'll be on the other side of the break. Stay there.
Hail, Holy Queen, Mother of Mercy, our life, our sweetness, and our hope. To thee do we cry, poor banished children of Eve. To thee do we send up our sighs, mourning and weeping in this valley of tears. Turn then, most gracious Advocate, thine eyes of mercy towards us, and after this our exile, show unto us the blessed fruit of thy womb, Jesus. O clement, O loving, O sweet Virgin Mary. Welcome back to the Catholic Underground. We are the podcast trying to cut through the noise and find the still small voice of the Lord. I'm Father Chris Decker, joined by Tyler Traha of Franciscan Missionaries of Our Lady University. Did I get it all right? You got it. Excellent, excellent. Uh, <laughs> also known as Fran Yu here in the Baton Rouge area. And Olivia Galino, also known as OMG. That's me. <laughs> <laughs> Those are really my initials. Yeah, they are really her initials, yeah. yeah. Uh, Jeff Blackwell is up in space. Sometimes called Big JB. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, Ed, who's just Ed. <laughs> we love Ed. He agrees with that. Yeah, exactly. So uh, we have been uh, spending some time along the, the way of the cross and um, how, how beautiful it is to be able to meditate upon this in your parish. But it's also, of course, part of, uh, of what we do uh, here on the Catholic Underground is, is we um, invite you to pray as we ourselves hopefully are prayers, you know, as mm-hmm. we pray. We were talking about Jesus meeting Mary, his afflicted mother. That's oftentimes the way that the, the station is introduced, is Jesus meets his afflicted mother. And that, that affliction, of course, as you were saying before the break, Olivia, is the sword that pierces her heart. Yeah. And, uh, and, that, uh, and that, that, that moment had to have seemed like an eternity, mm. you know? Yeah. I almost like hope that it did, if only to like, I don't know, because you, you, you can imagine that it kind of gave Mary some solace, you know, that like if it just lasted uh, a little bit longer, mm-hmm. a little bit longer, you know, then like it would have been some sort of like soothing moment for her and for Jesus. But mm-hmm. then like, you know, there's it's a double sided sword because the longer it lasts, then the more, the more kind of painful yeah. it's going to be yeah. to let go. But yeah. The, one of my favorite, in fact, this will be my pick of the week. I'm just giving you a, you know, a sneak peek. But uh, The Way of the Cross of St. Alphonsus Liguri, mm. which is probably one of the finest uh, that, that I think is, at least in, in my reading of the Stations of the Cross through my nigh 39 years of life. Um, this, is, this is part of the reflection. Consider the meeting of the son and the mother, which took place on this journey. Jesus and Mary looked at each other, and their looks became as so many arrows to wound those hearts which loved each other, each other so tenderly. So there's this notion that, that they, they had to encounter each other. This was an important encounter. And yet just by looking at each other, they were piercing each other with, mm-hmm. with, these, with these arrows. Yeah. You know, um, Our Lady receiving them and our Lord uh, you know, just, just simply receiving the love of his mother, which is also a sorrowful love. You yeah. know? Um, so, so yeah, I, as, as I said before the break, this is one of those that I often like to, to meditate on, to stay with. And which, by the way, you can do. Um, sometimes we think, if, if you're like me, <laughs> you think, mm-hmm. okay, I, I started at number one, I have to end at number 14. But it's, it's okay to, to go into your parish church and to find a station of the cross and to stay there. Mm-hmm. So um, in the past few years, uh, station four, station 10, which we'll talk about next episode, and then, of course, uh, Station 12, the, the crucifixion. Mm. Uh, I'll let you know what Station 10 is next week. Well, that's my cliffhanger. Okay. Okay, yeah. 
Um, so, so the fourth station, Jesus meeting his mother. Um, it's interesting that Jesus meets his mother after he falls for the first time. That, that there's this notion. I mean, if you think about what happens when you when you skin your knee as mm-hmm. a baby mm-hmm. child, you know, yeah. you run to your mom. Go find mom. And so even in the in the way that this unfolds in the history of the church, Jesus falls for that first time, but then finds himself, in a sense, in the embrace of his mother. And she is there for him. You know, she doesn't... Um, she doesn't look away. She doesn't. She she's there with him, and and you see in that uh, kind of a recapitulation uh, of whenever Mary and the cousins of Jesus are are waiting outside while Jesus is preaching, and somebody says, "Your mother and your cousins are here," mm-hmm. and Jesus says, "My mother and my cousins are the ones who do the will of God," mm-hmm. and even in this moment, Mary is doing the will of God. Her fiat is coming about mm-hmm. as she is in the presence of her son, walking the lonely road with him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the fourth station then gives away to the fifth, um, which is another one of those uh, relational stations. You know, it's interesting yeah. that the stations of the cross, all of them, even where Jesus falls, they all of them involve other characters. Yeah. Yes. I was thinking that same thing too, uh, how kind of these th- three stations that we're about to go through, it has to deal with other people Mm -hmm. in relationship to Christ's passion and how um, that's very reflective on us as Christians in our relationship with other people, how Mm -hmm. our faith is very much relational. Um, And even in the midst of Christ's passion in one of the, you know, most sorrowful moments of um, salvation history Mm -hmm. and how we as Christians go through these sorrowful moments, if you will. Yeah. And how, those three characters that we're going to about to go through Mary and then Simon and Veronica, how they each had a role to play in Jesus's passion and how in the relationships that we make in our faith, how God brings those people into our lives to play a certain role. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's what I was thinking about. I think too about like, okay, so I've been teaching my seniors, we've been talking about the communion of saints. And so Mm -hmm. I had them read, um, Alice von Hildebrand's chapter in the art of living by, um, like mostly essays by her husband, but, mm-hmm. um, uh, it's an essay on communion. And, um, anyway, so we've been talking about that and like what communion is. And then, um, I gave him part of space Salvi, um, Benedict the 16th, uh, encyclical on hope. And there's a part in there that I love where he says that no one lives alone. Mm-hmm. No one sins alone. Yep. No mm-hmm. one is saved alone. Correct. Mm-hmm. My life continually spills over into the lives of others. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, and this is not an imposition. That no, is the way no, that we are meant to absolutely. live. Absolutely. No. And I love that, like, even on the way of the cross, you see how could Jesus have done it by himself? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. But he invites other people into his way of the cross. And you see in there, I mean, a very beautiful reflection of just the entire spiritual life. It's the exitus mm-hmm. and the reditus of what the spiritual life is and how God leaves room for us in his creative action in the spiritual life, more generally speaking. Mm -hmm. Um, Like that's what prayer is. That's what intercession is. He allows other people to help him make his way of the cross. Is he strong enough to do it? Yeah, he's God. Mm -hmm. But he allows, you know, we're gonna talk about like Veronica, like Mm -hmm. he allows Veronica to give him strength. Mm -hmm. He allows Mary to give him strength. Mm -hmm. And he doesn't need it, right? It's sufficient without them, Mm -hmm. but he allows it because he wants it. Mm-hmm. Right, and that is one of the most beautiful and mystifying things about our relationship with the Lord is when Simon is essentially conscripted. Right. Right, he's coming in from the country, you know, 
and he's conscripted. He's he's pressed into service mm-hmm. to take up this cross. And and he, you know, I mean, can you imagine just just being kind of plucked out of a crowd of people and saying, here, that heavy thing that he's buckling under the weight under uh, of, you take it now. Mm-hmm. And yet he does. He he perhaps unwillingly at first, you know. Mm-hmm. And we get the sense sometimes in some of the pious uh, tellings of the Stations of the Cross that that he perhaps is unwilling at first because he's like, who is this guy, yeah, right. you know? And yet as he takes the cross upon his shoulders, something begins to happen. A conversion begins to happen. And one of the things that we find is that we have the ability to console the heart of Jesus. Remember, Jesus' heart aches for us, and it aches whenever we sin. Mm-hmm. And so whenever we make reparation for that, right, whenever we make amends with somebody, Whenever we do our penance after the sacrament of reconciliation, we're consoling his heart. Mm-hmm. And so as Simon helped Jesus carry his cross, he consoled the heart of the Savior. Can you imagine? I mean, we've all had to carry heavy stuff before. Sometimes a, a couch just shows up on your porch and you have to try to carry it inside your house by yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, Olivia, you don't know anything about that. No, nothing at all. But, but there are times where we've had to carry something heavy. And whenever somebody comes up and then just kind of lifts up a little bit and you go, oh. Yep, yeah. just a little bit. We, we know that feeling. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so can you imagine Simon for just a few steps taking the cross upon his shoulders, its full weight, and our Lord being able for the first time since he was chained up in the pit mm-hmm. to experience mm-hmm. gravity as it's mm-hmm. meant to be experienced, right. yeah. you know, without having this extra weight. Mm-hmm. And I also think about it too from the other perspective of how, you know, when one person sins, we sin against the whole community and but i also see it as you know simon going up and carrying the cross of jesus how that 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 bit of help that simon what like you said was kind mm-hmm. of forced into led him to victory yeah and how that little bit of that support where he was able to go to mount calvary uh, be crucified but then um rising in on the third day that support that Simon was able to give him in carrying the cross led him to that that, that victorious. And on top of it, uh, the the image that we have of our of our Lord or of Simon carrying the cross in our Lord is there are two children in the backdrop of, mm-hmm. of the painting uh, that, mm-hmm. that we're using from Wikimedia Commons. Whenever we actually console the heart of the Lord and we become disciples of the Lord, it has a a chain reaction. Mm-hmm. Those two boys are Rufus and Alexander. And Rufus is mentioned by name in one of St. Paul's letters. Rufus is um, uh, mentioned in Romans chapter 16. And um, Rufus was a disciple of the Lord. And Alexander was a disciple of the Lord. These two young boys, something happened after Simon finished his work carrying the Mm -hmm. cross. And that entire family, tradition teaches us, became disciples of Jesus. Mm -hmm. And so Paul is specifically greeting Rufus and his mother. And can you imagine like what happened? The boys would have seen this if they were with their father. And he would have had to describe to them, first of all, why he was helping this man. And then what happened afterwards? Yeah. Right. And whenever we share our testimony with somebody, whenever we unfold our heart to somebody, I mean, can you imagine the type of conversion experience that Simon must have had? Mm-hmm. Kind of like the rich young man. He, he goes unwillingly at first to the Lord and then may walk away, but he walks away changed. The rich young man walked away sad because he had yeah. many possessions. Yeah. Simon walked away jubilant 
because he was able to carry the Lord's one possession in that moment, which yeah. was his cross. Yeah. And that had and ha- that had an effect in his family. They became believers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, even your carrying of, of the cross, if you're consoling the heart of the Lord as you're doing it, then it's going to have a chain reaction in the lives of the ones that you love mm-hmm. and even in the lives of some of your enemies as well. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that's some, sometimes the things that we forget is that we are called to be a Christian not just for those whom we love and find it easy to get along with, yeah. but we're also to call to be a Christian. We're called to be a Christian for those who may not desire our good, yeah. mm-hmm. but it can even still have an effect in their lives and in their heart. You know, so yeah, Simon carrying the cross of Jesus and then learning how to carry his cross as well. Mm-hmm. You know, and that having a ripple effect in his family. The sixth station is is one of the most kind of um, cryptic but beautiful mm-hmm. images in uh, in the stations of the cross, and that is Veronica wiping the face of Jesus. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, as you know, Olivia, because you speak the Greek, um, her name is very indicative yeah. of of what takes place here. Veronica. Yeah, Veronica doesn't mean like true face. It means true image. Right? True image. Yeah. So like an icon, mm-hmm. Vero truthful mm-hmm. nika ikona yeah. um, is is a true image yeah. and so um jesus of course I mean, you can imagine the state of his face mm-hmm. right his right. face and entire body bathed in blood mm-hmm. uh the crown of thorns of course mm-hmm. they they didn't clean him up before they yeah. they sent him unrecognizable out the the cross. Mm-hmm. yeah and that's one of the things too is the the, the way of the cross um reminds us that he really does take upon himself the suffering servant yeah. The, mm-hmm. That suffering servant from the prophet Isaiah, where at one time he would have been recognizable as as one who people would have said, that is the son of man, that is the son of God. And then in the taking up of the cross and being beaten to a pulp, yeah. he is now ugly. Yeah. Yeah. You know, he is he is um, he is something. That, what, how does the scripture go? Uh, they turn their faces away mm-hmm. from him. Yeah. Right. You know, repulsion is is yeah. now in taking on himself the sins of the world. He takes upon himself the repulsion, yeah. the effects of those sins right. as well. Right. And yet I, Veronica comes to him. I, I'm reminded too of like Bridget of Sweden. Um, she had like this vision of um, Christ having five thousand four hundred eighty wounds on mm-hmm. his body as a result of the passion. So you can imagine just like yeah just how marred and just absolutely like you were saying like unrecognizable Mm -hmm. almost as human Mm -hmm. he must have been and like when you see someone like that like on a human level you can imagine when you see someone hurt like that it's hard to look them in the face you know because there's something on on um, a vulnerable level yeah yeah. like Mm -hmm. we become vulnerable and we it's hard for us to look at it because it's almost too much Mm -hmm. but and maybe there's some part of us that like we can't look away, but it's hard to even look that person in the eye. But what mm-hmm. does she do? She takes something simple and she she has to look him in the eye yeah. Yeah. and she lovingly wipes his face mm-hmm. because the face is this is the the what most represents that we are made in, in the image and likeness of God. Mm-hmm. And she wants to, in some way, restore that so that yes. people can see that. That's right. right. And that is such a gift, right? right. We, we, I love Veronica for that reason, because she's she sees the one simple thing that she can do. She can help people see that this man, he's not just a human being, right? He's the God man, mm-hmm. but she can help people see 
more than just something ugly yeah. yeah walking a horrible path yeah she she personifies him again yeah. right she restores um she restores a dignity to him yeah. right that of course he has within himself right mm-hmm. but it's covered over because of the vocation right. that he takes upon when he takes our right. sins on himself. Yeah, and, and it, that that's the word that came to mind is that dignity. And I'm reminded of my man, St. Francis of Assisi, Indeed. you know, the and his famous story, the story of the, the leper and how at first he was repulsed by it because of course at that time, leper, leprosy was um, kind of a- Untreatable. In, it was untreatable, yeah. but it was almost like an embodiment of sin. Correct. And yeah. that's why they were ostracized. But St. Francis, as he was passing by at first, did turn away. Yeah. Like he he was like, no, was I don't want any part of it. That was the immediate reaction. But then, you know, God in his providence, um, you know, inspired him to yeah. go back and then embraced. Yeah. And, Conversion and is like that, right? And exactly. We, mm-hmm. and, and I think- and again, in that embrace, that dignity was restored. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what I was thinking about as you as you were talking, Olivia, about how like Veronica, you know, there was just this, it was almost like there was something deep down inside, inside of her that saw that dignity in Jesus um, that went up to him and, and you know, just, just, it's just as simple as you said, it's just wiping the face and just allowing that cleanliness mm-hmm. um, where they have that little bit of the dignity that's coming back. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, it's powerful. It is, it is. Um, the Again, the St. Alphonsus Liguri's reflection, alas, my soul was also beautiful once when it received thy grace and baptism, mm-hmm. but I have disfigured it since by my sins. Mm-hmm. You alone, my Redeemer, can restore it to its former beauty. Do this by your passion, O Jesus. And, and that's really what Veronica kind of she is imaging what Jesus will do. Oh, yeah, it's just like, that's what I was saying, like just yeah. kind of like a foreshadowing almost. And so that's why he leaves the image of his face mm-hmm. on on her her towel. Mm-hmm. Because and isn't that something that can be displayed today? It is. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's actually contained uh, within, um, within one of the reliquaries that are part of the four pillars that make up the, uh, the transept mm-hmm. of, of St. Peter's Basilica in yeah. Rome. That's right, Jeff, Veronica's mm-hmm. Veil is in fact in a reliquary there and they bring it out once a year mm-hmm. on her wow. feast day Beautiful. yeah mm-hmm. also a relic of the true cross yeah and uh, there are a couple of others uh, um, the the spear of longinus yeah and um, um that, oh, that's gosh. three or four come back to me <laughs> <laughs> it's okay standing too close to the microwave again that's what it is that's right so, yeah. Yeah, but but you see that uh, that the church still venerates these things mm-hmm. because they allow us to see the power of um, of, of what Jesus for, certainly wishes to do for us even today. So so he essentially wipes our face mm-hmm. whenever we have been disfigured by sin in the sacrament of reconciliation. He restores our dignity. He restores us to his true image and likeness, and so we become. Um, recipients named Veronica mm-hmm. uh, or Veronico, I guess, if you want, if you're a dude. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but yeah, <laughs> you're a Veronico. Dude. Yeah. Dude. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, so Veronica wipes the face of Jesus and in so doing images for us what the Lord himself will do. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, uh, we conclude part one uh, today by talking about the second fall. Jesus falls once again and this is actually something I often think of because in the confessional, people will often say, well, here I am again, mm-hmm. you know? Right. I say that too, by the way, as a, as a penitent, huh? 
Father, here I am again. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we can be beset by the fact that that we we perhaps are confessing the same thing over again. Mm-hmm. And yet Jesus' second fall reminds us that um, that even though we fall, we are called to run to the Lord. Mm-hmm. You know, um, how many times has the Lord pardoned us? And how many times have we fallen again? Jesus allows us to see the frailty of his humanity in that moment because he wants us to see our frail humanity, but not as a stumbling block. He wants us to see our frail humanity as an opportunity to lean into him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's and that's something that I reflected on in preparing for today's because you know sometimes we we kind of see the stations of the cross at face value. It's it's something that is to be mourned, and mm-hmm. that's it. Well, yes, the stations is something to be mourned. Sure, but also again there there is that sign of hope there is that sign of victory there is that that is that symbolism of you know that this is not the end right mm-hmm. like this is mm-hmm. not the end there is there is something to look forward to and that is eternity in heaven yep. um which is portrayed as jesus in his resurrection um and and so just kind of kind of changing the perspective a little bit and saying like this isn't again this is not a story that is meant to make us emotionally heavy, right? Like yeah, there, we don't end in sorrow. We don't end in sorrow. Um, but there is that hope and there is that glory that is to come. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that's right. And, uh, and that's really where we find ourselves perhaps um, in seeing Jesus's second fall is it's an opportunity to ask that in the temptations that assail us mm-hmm. in the living of our lives, which ain't easy. I mean, we think that 2021 is difficult. Well, 21 wasn't easy either, you mm-hmm. know? Um, 121 AD was not easy either, mm-hmm. and and so we are called to ask the Jesus we, to ask Jesus to to deliver us to Himself at every moment, right? To to give our soul into His care, especially when we're in danger of falling, yeah. and we certainly do that. Well, we hope that uh, that this this first part of the Stations of the Cross uh, has been helpful for you as we as we work our way through. Um, and of course, uh, next week's show, we'll be going through the second half of the Station of the Cross, because just as kind of the, the drama turns, gets amped up here, uh, it gets dialed up even more mm-hmm. as Jesus makes his way to Calvary. And so we'll, uh, we'll work our way that direction next week. But you know, first, we would be remiss if we didn't change gears for just a brief moment and give you that part of the show that we like to call the CU Pick of the Week. That's right. And for our CU Pick of the Week, we know you've missed it. Um, you know, we should go to Olivia first because Kathleen's not here. So <laughs> she's listening on the radio. She is. Yeah. Hi, Kathleen. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to be failing in your shadow today. Um, <laughs> I say with love. She's here, got the microphone today. To, attempting to fill her shoes this week. <laughs> yeah. No, but I, okay, I did look up. I couldn't remember. I looked up um, the fourth, um, like, uh, relic in the transept yep. of the of St. Peter's, and it's St. Andrew's head. Ah, uh, the head of St. Andrew. Mm-hmm. Head of St. Andrew. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, Jeff's, so, on, Jeff's on board. Yes, because yeah. oh, Andrew yeah. is in one of those uh, alcoves, the, yeah. the, the mm-hmm. statue of Andrew. Yeah, with right. his his X cross, and yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, so my pick of the week is something that I am really excited to do actually in my classroom this week, um, which is the veiling of sacred images for Passion Tide. Sure. So kind of a like. I don't know, esoteric pick of the week, but, um, yeah, I figured it's technically passion tied today. Um, like in the extraordinary form of the calendar today is passion Sunday. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, 
on. Yep, and the fifth Sunday of Lent, yeah, typically we uh, observe the the um, covering of images and yeah. crosses. Mm-hmm. And in it's fact, just, there's a church in our diocese, they cover up their windows. Ooh, they wait, have what a, church? Yeah, Immaculate Yours? Conception oh. in Lakeland. Oh. They actually cover up the windows. Oh. Whether they were doing it just for Lent or or maybe they're getting complete, I don't know. But they cover up the windows because Ooh, that's cool. they're, yeah, because they're yeah. images, right? Wow. Yeah. Really, yeah. That's like oh. level eleven. You know? oh, yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. Dang. So um yeah, the reason that this is my pick of the week is because I've been trying to think of different ways that I can like show liturgical living mm-hmm. to my my students. Sure. Things you can do in your own home. Yeah, and and kind of demonstrate that like, you know, this is we live in the not live, but like we we live a certain part of our lives in this classroom and I wanna demonstrate that like this is just an ordinary thing mm-hmm. to do mm-hmm. in a certain sense. Um and so um, as we're getting closer to Holy Week and as we're getting closer to the Triduum, we should be deepening our um, kind of way that we're entering into this time of, of Christ's passion or, or approaching this time of Christ's passion and doing it with him. Um, and one of the ways that we can do that is by um, what um, it's kind of understood as like a, a, fe- a fasting from the eyes, yep. right? So yep. even like these, what we consider to be the, the beauty of the church's sacred tradition of art, but also mm-hmm. just the beauty of, you know, even like the, the corpus on the crucifix, mm-hmm. you know, the, this beautiful reminder of our salvation, um, we can fast from it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and there's maybe something um, kind of like that tugs on your heart at that, like, but I, I, I want to see it, you mm-hmm. know? And it's like, yeah, you do, but that's what fasting does it reminds us like it oh, deepens really our hunger see it yeah. yeah and like same with like the statues of mary the saints mm-hmm. or you know whatever else you might have in your home or or your workplace or whatever um to not see them reminds you of the glory of getting to see them yep. mm-hmm. you know um so that's my pick of the week um i'm really excited to do that in my classroom this very week. cool tyler do you have a pick of the week for us this week yeah well i was kind of ill-prepared coming yeah to sorry today. about that yeah surprise now you know how we feel <laughs> <All> right <laughs> but i did get permission to do a a, a shameless plug um, for this week um so as father chris mentioned i'm with franciscan missionaries of our lady university or fran U, and i have the humble honor of being um a part of the franciscan experience which is a summer program for high school students and it's um, fantastic Yeah, thank you. And um, it's a program that was developed a few years ago, and it's meant to really accompany young people in high school um, on this idea of vocation and what vocation truly means, how you discern vocation. But how does the study of God, um, theology, and um, radical service in community contributes to this idea of discerning your vocation? Um, so uh, we do a lot of service in the community. These people are taught by our theology pe- professors at FranU, but it's ultimately um, getting them to experience what it means to discern vocation, what it truly means, but how um, that call to holiness is what informs us to our different states of life. So mm-hmm. um, it takes place in July. Um, you can go to our website, uh, franu.edu forward slash TFE summer to get more information. Um, and yeah, we would hope to um, see you there. Yeah. So if you have some folks that perhaps are, are just saying, hey, can I come yeah. and stay in the Baton Rouge area for yeah, a week? Yeah. Uh, can you apply? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There are, there are applications involved. And I, I guess it is prudent to clarify that whenever I say vocation, it's not um, just about priesthood or religious mm-hmm. life. Um, we're talking about everybody because everyone has a vocation. Vocation to um, holiness and so, service. Exactly. Yes. So um, it, it's not meant specifically for that. Um, anyone and everyone can come. And um, there's an application involved um, due on April 12th. 
And um, if you have any questions, you can always uh, get in contact with me. All my contact information is on our website. Very cool. All right. Well, uh, my pick of the week is the Way of the Cross of St. Alphonsus of Liguri. Of course, uh, you know, St. Alphonsus was um, was the the uh, founder of the Redemptorist Order. Mm-hmm. And uh, and certainly, I mean, his writings are hard hitting. He has a very beautiful treatise on the Eucharist. Um, and his Way of the Cross is the one that, that I have done now for a number of years in my parish. And it is, uh, it is one of the most tender ways of the cross that, uh, that I've ever experienced. And, and so you get the sense that Alphonsus really knew the cross and really loved the Lord through the cross. And so you can Google it, but we'll put it in the show notes as well. Um, the Way of the Cross of St. Alphonsus Liguri. You can always get a, a book, but it's, uh, it's certainly open source because it's been you know several hundred years uh, since it's been in the public domain. So, um, so we'll make sure that you have that if you want to continue to pray the Way of the Cross, perhaps in the few remaining days of Lent. And of course, uh, Jeff, the Catholic Underground is made possible by viewers, by listeners, by prayer warriors, by benefactors like you. You can become an official undergrounder today. It's really simple. You just do what Jeff says. Go to catholicunderground.com slash donate. That it's a man, beautiful green screen, too. It is. Jeff would never lie to you. Not about, not about being an undergrounder. You can also help us out by letting others know about us if you... Uh, have a podcasting service of choice. Make sure you like us and heart us and star us. And, you know, sometimes, Jeff, people can even leave a, uh, a review. Yeah, say something kind. And we've had some great reviews, and we appreciate those. You very do much it this do. week. That's right. Now, do it now. Our panelists this week have been Tyler Trahan. He's at Tyler J. Trahan on Instagram, right, Tyler? That is right. And Olivia Galino is at the.real.omg on Instagram and Twitter. That's me. Jeff Blackwell is our technical director. He's at Jeff Blackwell us on Twitter. Our video director is Ed Ball. He's not on any of the things. <laughs> Jim Hayes we is... We still love Ed. We He's do. Jim is our research assistant with his crew in the lab. And you know me. I'm Father Chris Decker. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Digital Catholic. You've been listening to the Catholic Underground, cutting through the noise. So you can find that still small voice this Lent. We will see you next time.